0: father we thank you lord for the word of the lord we thank you for the move of the holy spirit father we've come not to just have teaching and preaching but father we want to receive we want to see beyond where we're at with the foundation of the word of god but with that revelation of the time we're in we want that Isaacer mindset lord that wisdom mindset That, Father, knows what to do in all circumstances, and all times, in the time we live in, and that we will do the things we are supposed to do in the present now. Let us be that peculiar people, Father. You've called us to be a peculiar people. So, Father, we resonate with that. And we say, okay, Lord, here we are. Here we are. Let us tighten the girdle, even as John the Baptist did. And let us say, here I am, Father. Here I am. In Jesus' name. Amen. So I sent you out a little note and I shared it in prayer yesterday morning and I want to touch on it again that we are turning the corner and it's a pursuing transformation and there's one word that's been resonating with me through this week in this season of fasting and prayer and I could hear the Spirit whispering it and I heard it echoing many times and reverberating and that word is emerge. Now, There's all kind of things about Emerge. Um, But what I want to do is focus on that a moment. I want to lay the foundation that this is a branding of the church of Laodicea. Now, this is the message that the Lord said he sent through the seven angels to the churches, to the seven churches and the angels of those churches. It's out of Revelation 2 and 3. But the one we're focusing in on is to the church of Laodicea. And I believe that it was number seven for the purpose that number seven is coming forth right now. I believe it was the last one of the message he gave because he realized where the church would be today some 2,000 years after that initial zeal and excitement and passion of the birth of the church in Jesus Christ and then also that which came forth um, with the disciples and the Pauline epistles and then the building of the church, the ecclesia. The church today, and this is a tough message, and I'm sure I'll get some lash back on it, possibly from some of you, maybe, I don't know, but certainly from some of my peers and those who are out there. You see, I'm all for grace. Trust me, I I appreciate grace. We need grace, God's a God of grace. We're living in that dispensation of grace. And I'm all for love. And I'm all for those things that we love to embrace and move upon in our Christian walk and faith. But we need to understand that our Lord is not going to come back until He's coming to claim a bride without spot or wrinkle. So we can pray and argue and debate eschatology. You know, is there a rapture? Isn't there a rapture? Pre, mid, post, all those things everybody has made up. The one thing I don't think is debatable Is that we must be honest? Is the bride of Christ pure? Is there a bride of Christ for the Lord to return to right now? And I have a very stark statement to make. The answer is no. The bride of Christ is sick, we're diseased. And I say we because even though I don't want to practice sin and I appreciate grace and run back to the cross and come to the Lord as necessary, I must understand that I am the member of a body and this body is sick. And, you know, when you have something as small as a splinter and you're working with your hands... And some of you can relate to that, right? You get a splinter in your hand and you have to work through the pain. And if you don't get that thing out, it begins to fester. And pretty soon you've got a problem. And depending on what it is and how it is, or how about a piece of metal or how about something in your eye, you know, something very small can begin to aggravate a very big problem and it gets in the way. Well, I would like to say that the bride of Christ has a splinter, but the bride of Christ is filled with cancer. The bride of Christ is filled with dementia. The bride of Christ is filled with bitterness. The bride of Christ is drinking from the cup of wrath of Babylon that the Lord spoke to us about in Revelation. The bride of Christ has one foot and the bigger foot sitting in the the world and the other foot trying to tread in the waters of God. And the Lord is saying, no more, no time. Now it doesn't mean that grace will stop, and it doesn't mean that we can't run to the cross, and we won't see there be an awakening, a revival. But everyone, too many, are calling for the revival in the world when the world really needs to see revival in the church. How can we be those who flaunt and talk about the gospel of Christ and how great the Lord has made our lives when it's hard for people in the world to see the difference between a Christian? and a non-believer it's hard sometimes it's hard for us in the body of christ isn't it i mean i can tell you right now if you just want a formula to build a church they they'll give you the formula you can buy the manuals they'll come and even teach you and your people they'll tell you what music to play and not to play they'll tell you how long to talk and not to talk They'll tell you, don't mention the name of Jesus too many times, and if you dare bring up the Holy Spirit, be careful. Because those are the things that repel people and move them away. And they'll tell you that people are looking for a motivational message, a good message. They don't want to hear about sin anymore. They don't want to be told that lives need to be changed. They just want to come in and feel good within the process. Because you see, then we can just go back out and... Just assimilate back into the world. And isn't it amazing how few people talk about the gospel and their love for Jesus out in the world? Isn't it amazing that sometimes we have to discover somebody's a believer because when we're talking to them and the interaction, it's no different than the world? Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing that not as many people say, God bless you as should be in a conversation when it's over with? Isn't it amazing? isn't it wondrous you see god is now attacking a culture and that culture is the culture of laodicea within the body of christ it's a culture the church has a culture and that culture is diversified which in some ways is good and in many ways far worse diversity is good when we're inclusive when male and female and all colors and types of people are understanding we're one in Christ and we're equal in Christ but that culture is foul when that culture assimilates also that everybody in the world is your brother and sister they are not we've somehow gotten to that culture where people are are treating and and accepting people as brothers and sisters who aren't attached at all to the same father and we do that out of love, but we also do it out of compromise. I'm not saying not to love. I'm not saying not to show grace. I'm not saying not to be kind. What I am saying is we must be careful what we attach ourselves to. Because that which we attach our to ourselves to has an impact on who we are. And it starts from the top down. God is beginning a work. I have not seen in my lifetime in the Spirit of God which is now 42 years. I've not seen in my lifetime so many changes in the generals and in those that are in the highest positions in the kingdom of God as I've seen in the last couple years. Another, another founder and president of another network brought home last week. Another funeral. Another change. Another man of God two weeks ago. God is shifting and moving people. Now you say, Pastor, what is that? I don't claim to understand it completely, but I'm, I have my eyes open enough to say something's happening. Change is happening. And I know the voice of God. Thank God I know the voice of God, and I believe you too. And we need to uh, sharpen ourselves to hear the voice of God. And so what I'm saying is that God is moving upon the culture of Laodicea in the body of Christ. There are three subcultures. He identified them. There is the hot. There is the lukewarm. There is the cold. One culture with three subcultures. And what did the Lord say? We'll say it. We've said it many times. I would you be hot. I would you be hot. I would not that you be lukewarm. And if you can't be lukewarm, then be cold. (laughs) Because the lukewarm is if we had to understand the vast majority... Of the membership of the body of Christ if we took a temperature and there seems to be a lot of desire to take temperatures right you walk into places and somebody sticks something on your head as if that's going to tell them everything about you and looks at the temperature and the comfort is from the temperature level I don't know about you but the older I get my temperature goes down my body temperature is going down but my spirit temperature is going up I used to think and say The body temperature is 98.6. It isn't. Not for me. I don't know about for you, but if I'm 95, 96, things are good. It's all right. It sort of shocked me as I learned that thing. I also learned that, you know, I used to be six foot. Now I'm five foot 11 and some change. Stuff's happening, Jim. You know, I used to have more hair. A lot of things change in the body and in the flesh, but in the spirit of God, we're supposed to be those that are rejuvenating and those that are transforming and restoring and being made new old things aren't all passed away in the flesh right you may still have an old car you may have a car you've had for 30 years that thing hasn't passed away yet i happen to have some old appliances that i like a lot they're working good Those haven't passed away yet, but in the spirit, all of the old things that aren't aligned to God pass away when we're new creation creatures and all things are made new if, if we walk into that newness. And if we don't, we're like the church. We have one foot in the old and one foot in the new. So we're peculiar people. And as we talked, and I want to touch about it again very quickly, God has always called out a remnant of people to begin a move of God. He's called out a person, a man, a woman. He's used them in a time. And it's always been in a point of contention. And we talked about it. Abraham got called out of the land of Ur and he went into a land of wilderness. Moses got called out of Pharaoh. He was sent into Pharaoh, called back out of Pharaoh. And then where did God meet him? In the wilderness in a burning bush. We see Jacob who would have many different levels in lives. And he went and he served Laban, and he served Laban for seven years to follow the promise of God, looking for a wife, not understanding that that was the woman that he would have the seed, that the promise of God would come, even the Messiah, Lord Jesus. And through deceit, because he was a deceiver, he got out deceived. How do you know that every kind brings forth its own kind? How do you know that Laban met a man who deceived him more than he could deceive his brother? And it cost him, it cost him 14 years to get his wife And finally, he got her. And as beautiful as she was, she wasn't fruitful because God had to show that he would make her fruitful. And in that sense, where did God change that heart? Where did God change that mindset? Where did God have an impact on his soul and give him a new spirit? It was in the wilderness. And what did he do? He had to contend with God. What did Moses do? He had to contend with Pharaoh and himself. What did Abraham do? He had to contend with his own relatives. And with all of the marauders that were around him what did Noah do he had to contend with a lot for a long time including his family and everybody around him in order to God make a move what did John the Baptist do he had to contend and go out into the wilderness because he wasn't acceptable he didn't have the credentials that his father had to be in the temple God didn't want it shout in the temple he wanted those who had a passion and a heart to come to the wilderness and that's what's happening now. God is calling people to the wilderness. And they may find them in many different settings. They may get answer the call and hear a message somewhere and somehow, but I'm going to tell you something. I believe with all my heart that until mega-churches begin to preach a message for this time and era, all they're going to continue to do is motivate a lot of people. And yes, there's people getting saved, and yes, there's people getting delivered, and yes, there's great messages. But we are called for a special time in a special place. Last week I said, there's the question, who are we, where are we, when are we, and what are we to do? We are the new creation people that have been birthed from the beginning of time for such a time as this. And the kingdom is in transformation. The kingdom is in transformation the same as it was the first time the spirit of Elijah cried out through John the Baptist. Prepare ye a way. Prepare a way in the wilderness. Make straight a highway for our Lord. And the same spirit is crying out today. And there was a transition then that went from the law and the prophets, as John 8 tells us. And it was the bridge was John the Baptist. And it was a short time. It was a short span. You see, when transition begins to move, it's not a long time. When it's an era, when it's an epic era in the kingdom of God, and it finally begins to move, there's not a lot of time left. Yeah, Noah prepared a long time. Yeah, the church has been preparing a long time. Yeah, the Lord has been preparing you and me for quite a while. But when God begins to move, when the earth begins to rumble, and the water begins to come out, and ready to flood the earth and float the boat, we should hear the rumbles. We should hear the new springs springing up in the wilderness and in the desert. He said, I will spring up. I will bring up springs. Living waters will flow in the desert. That's where you find the springs of God is in the wilderness. You don't find them in the comfort and the lush and the flush of our religion. We find them in the wilderness. We find them when we're peculiar. We find them when God puts us in a different place. We find them when the vision is so big we can't get our arms around it. We find it when we say this is not making sense to me and i believe as a body of christ here i can tell you as a pastor i can tell you in leadership of this ministry and what god is calling the vision is getting very big and i'm having a hard time getting my arms around it i'll share that in a moment that's how i know it's of god now some of you can say ah gibberish." you know what's he know well you're right i'm just a fellow in canfield ohio very small little church in fact, I had somebody ask me the other day, they were trying to relate, where are you? Tell me where you are according to Cleveland or Columbus or Cincinnati. And I started laughing. And I said, you have to Google, it's called Canfield, Ohio. That's where we are. Oh, I see. And the next thing they want to ask you is how big is your church? You see, there becomes a flexing of muscles. How big is your church? And, and are you on television? And all those kind of that's how people measure the mega word (laughs) but for some reason god has used me since 1980 to give a word from a little voice and something very strange they're strange words they're words that you can't make up but they come true and so there's a word that god has given me that's been coming out and that is that we're in a season of change it's a two-year season and we're going to see a transformation going about that has started. The dawn of the emergence has broken. It's not breaking. It's broken. You see it up there on the screen? Turn the lights down, please. You see that? Isaiah 60, arise, shine. For the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It's a command. Do you understand that? That's not, that's not just a word of comfort. That's a command. Arise, shine, shine. For the glory of the road, Lord, has risen upon you. But it has to have something else happening with it, and it's that gross darkness is covering the earth. Are we blind? Do we want to believe so much that grace is going to just cover all the sins of the world, and somehow we're all going to be kumbaya and become one whether or not the Lord's in it or not? Are we going to believe that somehow, some way, God is just going to move contrary to His Word? And that somehow we're going to repel gross darkness as those that would want to call upon a green environment in the earth? Listen, beloved, that's not going to change anything. Gross darkness is covering the earth. You and I must arise and shine. You see that? That's the dawn of the glory of God for the kingdom to come here on earth. Now, we've been praying for the kingdom to come. Jesus told us, pray for the kingdom of come. But He didn't tell us the fullness of the kingdom coming, did He? He said, make sure you repent. Make sure you thank God for the daily bread. Make sure you forgive others as you want to be forgiven and say, Father, let thy kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. How many of you would dare say the kingdom has come here on earth like it is in heaven? Hmm? Nobody. But we pray it and I believe it because we are those that are getting glimpses of it. We are those who can walk in the abundance of God. We are those who have an opportunity to reach our hands through the flesh and through this atmosphere of this earth and into the heavenly places. And in those places we can can eat and partake and minister and walk in the authority of the divine abundance of God. That's who we are. That's a portion. That's just a taste of the kingdom. It's just a taste. You know, one of the first songs I wrote when, when I was uh, auditioning for, for an album was just a taste. I was just thinking about that. And I have to go back and look at those words. It was just a taste. I realized at that point it was just a taste. What we've been doing and living and praying has just been a taste. But now the Lord says arise and shine. Because where there's great darkness, grace prevails. But grace prevails through the glory that rises up in you and me. And we must contend How many of you know that every time there's been a move of God, there's been a contention? You've had to contend for the faith. You've had to contend and fight to get out of what you have. Ralph, you need to fight. We can sit back and oozy schmoozy and love motivational messages and run from this well to that well and drink whatever tickles my fancy today and look for another answer. And the body of Christ is so busy doing it i mean i have literally seen houses cleared out where people have had so many messages so many things they've purchased so many things they have and i laugh about it and i say i wonder when the last time they looked at that one or dusted the dust off of that thing because there's this craving for the answer but the answer is who are you you've been called for such a time as this where are you you're in the kingdom of god here on earth you're a citizen of heaven but you're still walking in that flesh here in this place what are you to do? You're to prepare the way for the kingdom of the Lord. Where? Right where we are. God will spread it the rest of the way. How do we do it? We start with ourselves, and then we grasp the vision, and then we walk in it. And we do our part. We do our part. You know, obscurity. Obscurity is what defiles people's visions and hearts. You say, I'm, I'm obscure. I tell you, I've felt obscure many times. I would listen to something I'd already seen. I had the prophetic word and, 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 and it wasn't received. It wasn't accepted or I was put aside and I would be frustrated and feel obscure. I know you have too. You have gifts. You have callings. You want to do things. That's obscurity. Well, obscurity is really only relevant to the time and place. But when God says now, when he says this is present now, then it's time to move it's time to rise up. It's like he says, Arise and shine for the glory of the Lord is upon you. But if you don't rise up, the glory of the Lord isn't going to find you. Look at it this way. You know, in our lives, sometimes we're in the shadows, aren't we? And we get frustrated in the shadows because we sense and feel there's something bigger and greater in our heart. But there's something that happens. It was like Meshibosheth. M- How do you say that? Uh, Say it? Mephibosheth. 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 Remember Mephibosheth? He was crippled. Right? Jonathan's son, David, had a heart. He wanted to rescue his friend's son. Mephibosheth was in the shadows, he was obscure, he was nowhere. He didn't even have his daddy to take care of him no more, and not his grandfather. In fact, his family was destined to be annihilated. But, John, but, but David reached out for him. And he had to go through a matron, through a person called Zilba. Zilba went out and found him and brought him to the place. He was obscure until there was a helper. How many of you know that you're obscure until you can rise up and then people can help you? How many of you know that if you stay obscure and you're unavailable and you're uncommitted and you're not doing the things of God and you're drinking out of all kind of wells running around, you're not going to get found? You don't get found and discovered by the helpers of God by reaching out to so many people. I mean, if you want. I don't scoff at them because they have their time, but I used to teach membership classes in a couple churches. I did it because I was asked to do it. And then I found that, you know, people seem to get some kind of an affinity because they graduated a membership class. But I didn't realize a transformation or a change. It was like receiving a high school diploma. That doesn't give you a vocation. You have to go work at it. Membership in a church or in a denomination doesn't do anything to pull us out of obscurity. It's when we stand up and we say, Lord, here am I. And then the Zilba's come in our life and they begin to help us and they identify us to the places that God wants us to be identified to. And people that are willing to sow and step out. They'll bring other people with them. People will be joined together. And there will be a blessing that flows because of those commitments and those sacrifices. Are we givers or are we takers? Who are we within the call of God and what we're called to do? Are we insignificant or do we feel there's a significance? Because we know who we are in the time that we live in. And so, emergence arise shine for your light has come for your light has come and the glory of the lord has risen upon you something about emergence a cinnamon for that is springing up god says in that desert i will have fountains that burst forth from under the ground and they will spring up and give living water Today, Israel, the deserts of Israel, is a testimony to that. In the middle of the desert is some of the greatest vegetables grown in all the earth. There's enough vegetables and produce in Israel to feed all of Europe and the Arab world. But the prejudice and the discrimination doesn't allow it to happen. Emergence is time and place and purpose relevant. You see, Noah building a boat had no relevance until the boat was floated it was foolish it made no sense us being called to the wilderness in Canfield 11 years ago to start and 10 years to finish made no sense until God floats the boat till there's relevance God will also test us to see are we willing to contend who are we are we willing to hold on one thing I believe with all my heart God is faithful God will honor even in our mistakes if we're faithful to what He calls us to do. Even when it looks like all around us, it doesn't make sense. God will honor that. I believe that with all my heart. And I know that the dawn is breaking. The dawn of emergence is breaking. And we are the bridge, as I taught last week. You are the bridge of transformation. You've got one foot now in the church age. And that church age is breaking forth and the kingdom age is beginning to fall down from the heavenlies above. And the, spr- and, and the wellsprings are filling up and starting to gusher. And those wellsprings are doing a, 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 a hybrid work. It's a hybrid work for the cleansing of the body of Christ, preparing the bride of Christ and a hybrid work for Israel. In three, four different times the Lord calls Israel his bride. Paul made it very clear. He's coming back for a church without spot and without wrinkle. My beloved, we'd have to be fools to believe that's who the bride is now. You can put the lights back up, please. It's time to come out of the shadows. Arise and shine. Emerging means that things will manifest that were hitherto unknown to you. It's an opportunity, it's a time, but you must contend for them. As Israel's been emerging, we learn in the book of Revelation in chapter 12 that those those births, those eggs that come out, that Satan makes war against them and he goes to destroy them as fast as they come. How many of you know that Satan's first move against you and the things of God is to try to steal the seed that God gives you? How many of you know that? the seed begins to come out and you get all kind of doubts because you can't quite see the plant yet. And you're not sure of the time and the, and, and the watering and, and the vultures come to try and steal it and the, the fowls of the air come to steal the good seed. And that's when God says, cry over that good seed. Continue to nurture that good seed because there's something emerging that was hitherto hidden. For many of you god is exposing and dealing with things in your lives this is your opportunity this is your time to break forth not to be somebody who's measured by your failures or what you didn't do or how foul you think you are your sins or your inabilities to break through but to be measured by the emergence of what god's doing for you now if god's doing something for you now don't think that's a mistake that's the dawn of emergence and because you have a heart you've held on sometimes just holding on with scratching nails like on a cliff God honors that and he says now's your time and I'm gonna float your boat in the middle of the wilderness and everybody's gonna be wondering and those who aren't are gonna drown in the judgment that I pour out you see without judgment there is no grace that's not a message people like to preach Why do we hear that judgment must begin in the house of God? Because how can God bless people with grace if the house of God is frustrating grace? It's a false grace. God's not false. God's true. There must be judgment. But God's gracious. Just like He has been with this country and many. He will allow there to be many opportunities to get back with God. We're in that time of emergence. The dawn of emergence is breaking Prepare for the kingdom come. Beloved, no one can emerge without a fight. You can't do it. You got to be willing to contend. So expect this as you're emerging, you're going to have obstacles, you're going to have to make decisions, you're going to have to make choices. You're going to have to weigh out whom do you serve and how do I serve and what do I do? And I assure you there will be those who will tug and pull you into other things and to do other things. You have to make a decision. Who am I and what am I called to do and how am I going to do it? Can you tug greater than someone tugging you? Or can you just not be moved? Those are questions we have to answer. Do you imagine how many times the disciples' wives told them, Would you please come home and do your job again? We're hungry. You're running around with this Jesus and, you know, we can't pay the bills. Your children aren't seeing you. All you care about is another pair of sandals. You've been gone three and a half years. He says go, you pick up, you go. Hmm? How about John? His mother probably crying her eyes out. Son, you're out in the middle. Come home, good Jewish mother. Let me feed you. You're eating bugs and honey. You stink. You stink. You look like a wild man of Boreo. Come home, my son. I love you. Come home. God wouldn't have you be like that. Huh? You know how many people I've had tell me, especially when I first came here, and, 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 you know, my spiritual father was mad at me. God's not calling you out to the middle of there. You're here. You're here with me. You're on television with me. You have thousands of people. God's called you to go with me. God wouldn't do that. it was hard and guess what I wanted to believe that because it came from an authority that I respected and I still do I love the man but that wasn't my word that was his word my word was stand my word was come my word and I remember the Lord telling me very quickly Lord it isn't going to be easy he told me I I thought easy was like six months a year two years three years five years ten years wasn't going to be easy but do what I say and say what I do. <laughs> you know what I laugh about? How many people really want to have have a big voice prophetically? <sighs> Something wrong with you if that's what you want. That's not easy, and you're never popular. If you're looking for popularity or you're looking to build a prophetic ministry, hey, <laughs> hey, Pretty soon the business of the ministry overtakes the prophetic word and you're more concerned about how many people are on Facebook, how many people are following you, who's watching me, who's listening to what I have to say. And you begin to measure your credibility by what other people think, say, or do. And to God, he scorns and he laughs. That's why Moses was his friend. Lord, 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 I, I, I'm not comp, competent. I can't. I can't even speak. Kill me. I kill, 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 the guy. I can't, can't. Send Aaron. God said, "Ah, you're qualified. You're qualified. Watch what I will do." Didn't make sense. God should have softened Pharaoh's heart. He hardened it. God should have made it easier for him. He made it tougher. God should have given them an easy way out as a general leading His people. He took them to a place where they were going to be massacred. He took them through the wilderness to a place where the only thing they could do is go through the waters. And in my life, I feel that's where I am. And that's why you could see me smile. Because in my own mind, it makes no sense whatsoever. In my own mind, I can't grasp it. I can't get it. I can't take it. But I do know this, God's about to part some waters and it's gonna be fabulous. And I know we need to contend, I know I need to fight. I need need to hold on and I need to believe God and so do you. And if you wanna be significant, if you wanna live up to your destiny in this time that God has called you, then step out. Step out of the boat and get on the water and see what happens. And keep your eyes upon the vision of what God has given you. And if things are stirring up in your lives and in your families, guess what? That's the gauge that means the water's starting to boil. (laughs) You boil water, stuff happens, right? You boil water to get impurities out. You boil water long enough that you can drink the water. I don't know about you, but many times I've been where the the well water was bad or the city water was bad, and they tell you boil the water, get the bacteria out. God's boiling some water, beloved. He's making the temperature hot to purify us and to purify you and to get you ready. That's a good thing. It's not a pleasant thing, but it's a good thing. And you can enjoy in it. All right, I'm gonna move faster now. I want to go quick. John cried out in the wilderness. And his cry was the voice of one crying in the wilderness that Isaiah spoke about in 40. Jesus came to him. John didn't want to baptize him, but listen to this word. Jesus said to him, as John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you. And you are coming to me? That's what John said. Jesus said, permitted to be so. Listen to the word now permitted to be so now for now this is the fitting time for us to fulfill all righteousness when Jesus declares something in the now it means something's about to pivot there's a change that's coming I'm telling you Jesus is proclaiming the now with the dawn of the emergence of the kingdom of God something is happening and it's now it's in the present now it's no longer about another time Jesus let John know this is significant and serious and John you've been called for this now so that we fulfill righteousness. We speed forward. Jesus gets baptized, he comes out of the water, and what happens? What does God do? He pulls him right into the wilderness. Mark 1:12-13. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit, by the Spirit, by the Spirit. Somebody say, by the Spirit. How many of you know you're being led by the Spirit? We like to say, I'm a new creation creature. Well, we, a new creation creature acknowledges and takes comfort in knowing you're being led by the Spirit. We are being led by the Spirit into the wilderness of God. That's a wonderful thing in our lives. And the only thing that will stop it is us. We can choose not to go into the wilderness. Jesus had to go into the wilderness. And what did He do there? He was led by the Spirit. And He was there in that wilderness 40 days. And He was tempted by the devil. (laughs) An epic battle. And and we know all of the ones He told them. We know everything that he did to try to convince him. But this I want you to know. This was a foreshadow of the war that was coming between Jesus and Satan that ultimately made you a victor. This was a foreshadow of it three and a half years before. Do you understand you're a foreshadow of the great victory that's coming here on earth through Christ again? You're the foreshadow. We're the foreshadow. Are you getting it? I don't think you're getting it. If you're getting it, somebody do this for me. If you're not giving it, then don't look like Joe and go like this. Yeah. Yeah. Give me this. Let me say it again. You're a foreshadow of of the battle and the war that's going to be won. Jesus going in to be tempted by the Spirit in the wilderness, contending with the devil, was a battle that he had to win in order to set him up for the war that he would win three and a half years later. The enemy got lulled to sleep. The enemy thought he won. The enemy thought he got Jesus. He thought he got his soul. He thought he got his mind. He thought he got his body. He thought he prevented his spirit from going back to the Father. But Jesus entered into the strong man's camp. He disarmed him. His soul was made sin that had never sinned, that you might be made the righteousness of God in Jesus Christ. Let no one fool you. When Ezekiel said, the soul that sins must die, God was speaking those words his soul was filled with sin it had to die the soul of Jesus Christ died I don't care how many people get mad at me because that's where our victory is the fact that his soul took our sin and went into hell and by the glory of God he was raised and that same spirit that raised him from the dead dwells in you and I That's the power of resurrection. That's ultimate victory. That allows you and I to be in the spirit, to go in the wilderness, to overcome the devil by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony and to say, Lord Jesus, come here on earth. Help me to prepare the way. Let me be one of those that has a clean spot in the bridegown for you now. And so, Jesus, an epic battle, he prepared the way. I just want to read you a scripture that I read Saturday morning, one that really speaks to me. I've been waiting. I've been waiting to see the fulfillment of the scripture since I first saw it in February of 1980. I saw this vision. I feel the presence of the Lord so strong. Hosea, the word means salvation. Yeshua, Hosea. That's why the rabbis teach Hoshainah. Come Messiah, come salvation. Hosea was a good man. He succeeded Amos. He came from that lineage. He was a prophet. But God told him, go and take yourself an adulterous wife. Her name was Gomer. Doesn't make sense, does it? He took her. They had three children. We don't even want to go through the names of the children, sad names. God has left you. God isn't with you. God doesn't like you. And he told her, release her back as a prostitute. She was purchased back by the things of the world. And then he told, her, told Hosea, go purchase her back. Bring her back. Bring Gomer back. You see, beloved, that was a foreshadow not only of Israel, but of the body of Christ. married to the Lord in our unfaithfulness, in the foulness of our adultery, As we've been given unto idols, things of the world, married unto Him, the Lord's hailed us in His grace. And now He's saying, come out, come out. Gomer came back even as the Lord is bringing Israel back and he's, even as He's bringing back His sons and daughters in the body of Christ. The Lord is bringing back because of His faithfulness. This is the Word. This is the Word that the Lord gave. Let's read it in Hosea 2, verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will lure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her. And I will give her her vineyards from thence and the valley of Acor for a door of hope. For hope, for hope. And I shall sing there as in the days of her youth and as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. Are you getting... The understanding. You came out of the world. We came out of the world. And now the Lord says, as in those days, I'm going to give you back that hope, but I'm going to take you in the wilderness to meet me. And it shall be in that day that the Lord, that you shall cry unto me, Ishi, and you shall say no more Bali. Ishi, Father. Ishi, Blessings. No longer Baal. No longer idols. No longer ascribing to God a name that's not His name. For I will take you away, the names of Balaam, out of your mouth. I will destroy your idols. I will destroy the secularism in you, the humanism in you. I will take out that which needs purged from you. You will no longer try to prioritize where God is in your life. I will be number one and there will be no number two and three. If I'm not in them, you don't have them. Tough word. You shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day, I will make a covenant for them with the beasts. And I will betroth thee, verse 19, unto me forever in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will betroth you unto me in faithfulness and you shall know the Lord. And it shall come to pass in that day, I will hear and I will hear the heavens and they shall hear the earth. This is the vision. I was pretty well broken down to nothing. No relationships, no friends. Didn't understand anything about the body of Christ. Myself and the Spirit of God alone in a dark home on the north side of Youngstown. No heat, no water. The dead of the winter, February. Crying out to God. Is there any way back? Any way back for my people? I see no way. And I got that vision. And I saw the daughter of Zion being led out into the wilderness, tattered and broken, defiled. I saw her come to where there was shining scarlet ruby feet. She bowed upon them and put her face upon the feet. And the glory of the Lord broke out. And I began to cry. And the Lord spoke to me, Hosea. And I went to Hosea and I read that. I said, the day's coming, Lord. The day's coming when you'll take us to the wilderness. Beloved, the day's here. We're going to the wilderness. I've lived to see that. And now I want to see it manifest. We're in the wilderness. And the Jews... And the church are going to merge at the feet of Yeshua. And he's going to cry out, my bride is come. That's where we are. That's where we are. You can choose to throw this word off and chase other words. It's up to you. But I would only challenge you to do this. Have not you heard what you've heard from me these past years been true? Has not it been against all kind of crazy odds the things that God has said? The next, the elections, the three Supreme Court justices, starting in the lower courts, coming up. I could go on and on with the things God has used me for. I'm not bragging about me. It's a testimony we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. That's a word that overcomes. So you weigh it out. You can discard it and chase any voice you want. Truth is truth. For me and my house, we're gonna pursue the vision. I was going to get into more details I'm not going to do that today I'm going to do that the next time I speak with you Lord willing some big things that the Lord has laid out they've been coming for a long time and I'm not telling you they're gonna manifest overnight but they're coming now too big for me to get my arms around I don't quite understand it, it has to do with our worship our music and album God's going to provide those funds for that quickly has to do with a convocation center just a couple miles from here he's already made the land available he's told me to find the architect pray with me I'm finding I'm looking for that architect that will design the vision that God has given he said people will come to and fro to it from all over the earth Garth Koontz has prophesied it to me at least a dozen times. In the last couple months, he said, When are you going to start? (laughs) I said, Garth. He didn't want to hear anything, but when are you going to start? Why? Because this is the wilderness, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon this place. There's going to be some addition. In this house i don't understand it i don't know who it is i'm not even trying to make it happen but the lord's told me there's going to be addition in this house he's going to send us more leadership more people things to do people to do missions and visions to serve and he's going to provide the resources i can tell you surely that the vision he's given isn't going to be provided from the resources of the tithes in this present house (laughs) thank God we've never really relied upon that. And I'm not mitigating that. Thank you for everything you do. He's a big God. How big is our vision? What is our role? What is our part? Two weeks from now, we're going to have a visit from an old friend of mine, Pastor Mario Forte. He's a director in the ICME. He's been going on about the nation, planning churches and calling up pastors. Mario and I walked together and served together for seven years in Miami with Pastor Alberto Delgado. Actually, six years. He left before I did in the seventh year. Ex-gang leader. Tough looking guy. I think he's about 20 years younger than me. Powerful preacher. Totally no-nonsense, soft to the heart. I was praying for the Lord to give me a voice that I could trust, that I could have speak in to us about some transformation, some change, about becoming relevant. All of a sudden, boom, there He was. And we laughed. He had the same number. I had the same number all these years. He's coming two weeks. Pray for it. I believe he's got something for us. Monty Irfan, the Lord spoke to him last week, told him he needs to come back here soon. He's got a word. God's pulling his people back to help with the rudder, to guide where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do. The one commitment we made coming into this was that we weren't going to put walls up you know it's like um, playing a pinball thing you know you bump off the bumper walls and you try to guide where you're going by hitting them the Lord said don't do that let me let me navigate it make sure you don't all I can tell you is that the Lord what he's shown us this isn't small stuff it's too big I can't get my arms around it (laughs) so should bring us all great joy I can't do it I can't do it with my resources with my knowledge with my experience but he can take all of that with us and he'll do it and I believe we'll be celebrating as God uses us for the gateway in the house that he said he would we've had inklings of it we've had people come have found us from different parts of the world and they go but God says there's going to be a gate coming and going coming and going coming and going coming and going going. It's a great responsibility. It's a great opportunity. It's humbling. Asia, breaking forth. Time is now. The time is now for Asia. It's breaking forth like never before. It's breaking forth. So, that's it. Transformation. I'm not going to go back over everything. You either buy in or you don't. I, I'm not going to manipulate. I'm not even going to motivate. I'm just speaking the word. And you do what you want. You know the one thing that I like so much about the words of John the Baptist, the last thing anybody could call him was a motivational speaker. You know, you would think you're trying to build your ministry. You want acceptance. The Pharisees, the Sadducees come to see what you got. They're asking you to baptize them. And he tells them, you vipers and snakes, God's going to kill you. He's going to cut you down like a tree and throw you in the fire. Get out of here. That's not a motivational speaker. He's going to take the chaff and burn it. And the goodness, he's going to harvest it repent prepare the way for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus is coming amen father thank you for the word of the Lord thank you father that you let it ring true and reverberate in our spirits let us be honest let us be truthful speak to us father who we are what we can do what we should do that we know how to do it that we do it together Father, those that are online, join them to us with a a greater passion. Allow us to help to serve them. Our churches, wherever they are, Father. Father, let the diaspora grow. Let the net be spread large. As Jab has said, enlarge the pegs of the tent, Father. Not for our own kingdom, but for yours, Father, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done, what you're going to do. And let us not bring the end of a chapter With this fast, let it just be the beginning of the dawn of the emergence of the kingdom here on earth. In Jesus' name, amen.